Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Black Tea. Today's episode is about school reform, racial profiling, and police mentality. We talked today to our main guy, Kobe K, an awesome guy, an awesome friend, awesome mentor, awesome role model. Uh, a little bit about Kobe K. He's a film producer and photographer, one of the most outstanding guys. I had met him uh, through the uh, through one of our uh, protests out here in St. George and he's just been shining light on all the different issues and uh, so we interviewed him today and got his different perspective on his view on his side of things about his family and just to get a little uh, just to get a little bit more information uh, Asai's Diamond she was playing to she was playing about different scenarios that happened to her while she's been in uh, St. George in a small city and of course, I was explaining to you guys about certain things that happened to me. This episode is very heartfelt, very emotional. A couple of times we got choked up a couple of times and almost started crying. It is very heartfelt. So um, just take a dive, take a listen. After this the interview, I will be doing uh, live action questions. So guys, send them in. Um, a lot of different views. Uh, one of the views I got from a friend from Facebook, he's very, very heavy on trying to find out trying to find different views and different ways to help everybody and i don't sugarcoat anything i'll tell you how it is same as diamond same as colby and this is what this is here for so today's episode is spilling the beans check it out so i'm diamond and my question to you is what do you think about racism and issues of inequality should be addressed in the schools here in st george I mean, that's a big question. What do I think about racism? And then how do I think it should be addressed in the school systems in a small town? Hmm. Let me think about that because you have to unpack it. What do I think about racism? I think is a bigger question. I think yes. There, I think is it, It's not a yes or no question because I think the answer is yes. I think right now from a, a history perspective, for whatever reason, the education system has been – parsed down to tell specific stories and to not tell others and I don't know why that is it's probably by design somewhere but there's the way the education system is the education system has been built to build workers it's not to build critical thinkers so if you're building a system where people are to raise their hand and to get in line and then punch a clock the education system is doing exactly what it's supposed to be doing when you think about raising critical thinkers, that's where I think this discussion probably is more applicable. And I don't know that we're there. I don't think the education system – that's a reform, like a huge – the whole education system needs to be looked at. Um, how do I think that it should be positioned in schools where we are in a small town? I think it all goes back to community, which will be a lot of the message that I think we'll probably talk about is – and what I mean by community is, you know, we live in this small town that's, you know, Christian in faith based. Um, the core value systems are based on service. But for some weird reason, the service, you know, does that service extend outside of your social group um, and your kind of your religious, your religious thinkings, right? Like, so how do you, how do you expand that? So I think the, um, the fact that we're in a, an area that's heavily Christian based service is part of that. So you have to look at the communities. And from a community perspective, understanding 
um, that if you don't look, act, and feel like somebody else, it doesn't necessarily, if they're different, it doesn't necessarily mean that your values are more than theirs. And I think that that, that needs to be, those traditions of service need to go all the way through the community. It can't just be based on who you choose. And it's, I don't know how you integrate that into school. I mean, that goes back to this, the education system and, and trying to raise people with critical thinking skills and showing that there's other things going on. Why do we only talk about Martin Luther King, but we don't talk about the, why don't we talk about Malcolm X? Why don't we, why are there other, why don't we really dive into Native American history? Why don't we talk about the indigenous people that lived here before and like the, the amazing things that they did from, you know, the, the ecosystems that they built or what about the Mayans? Why don't we spend more time? There's like one of the longest, longest running civilizations in history that just disappeared. Why'd they disappear? I want to talk about that, right? And I'm not a kid in school right now, so I don't know what they're being taught. I've got nine kids and they range from 21 down to six months. So I mean, there's all kinds. I'm not in the schools. I see a little bit, but I, I think the first piece is we need to look at the education system for what's it for? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Because I think it's a lot different now than it was when I was a kid and my parents were kids. What we need to learn, the skill sets we need to acquire are way different than what we're being taught, right? Let's teach kids how to balance a checkbook. Let's teach, teach, teach kids how to stay out of debt. Let's teach kids the importance of self-esteem and let's talk about mental health. We don't talk about mental health, right? Let's talk about that. We don't do that. So it's like, those are th- we need to look at the education as a whole. Uh, but I think in a small town, what happens is a small town happens in a big town. I've used the analogy of, you know, what ha- what's happening across the street in the apartment complex is happening at the nation. You know, it's no, di- it's no different. Like it's its own little micro-community. And you know, with, um, I think it's important. I think we need to, I don't know what the answer is, but I think the answer needs to go back to what are we putting our kids in school for in the first place. I agree with that 100%. Um, what are we putting our kids in school for? I agree with that a thousand percent. You know, you know, they're not being taught self-reliance, uh, how to get out of debt, what's credit, what is credit, how to how to sustain your credit, anything like that. Like, you have your history books that we, you know, that we learn in or that, we, that we've been taught up and it's like, okay, this doesn't make sense. Where's, where's the rest of it? You know, it's missing books, missing pieces. So what are we learning? A lot of the stuff that we're learning now when we're older is we've been self-taught because we got to dig for this information and half of that stuff is not even right. So... I definitely agree with that. Um, so, next question. I'm going to go off of what Diamond is. Is you have nine kids. What are you teaching your kids about racism? And if they experience it themselves, do you trust their judgment to lead the path that you're chosen for racism? Mm. So, you're talking to a white guy. <laughs> Right, who grew up in minority communities, whether it was uh, New York, Los Angeles, or going to school in Hawaii. And the culture that raised me was, the music that raised me, the culture that raised me was hip hop. I'm 45 and I got into, I'm trying to think, I was probably 11, 11 or 12 years old when the movie Break-In came out. And it was at the same time Style Wars was put on PBS. And I was hooked at 11. And my way in was like breakdancing. And I was okay. I wasn't the best, but I loved it. I was passionate about it. And I was a B-boy forever. And then I got into 
what was next? It would have been graffiti. So I started painting. And I still paint. Uh, I've, I've been painting a really long time. And then it was emceeing at about 17. Like writing rhymes. And then making beats at that same time. Okay. And I've made, I don't know, eight or nine albums. Like full lengths. And I've done hundreds of tracks. So the culture that... I identify with as far as where I get my swagger and how I approach things has traditionally been based on that, mm. right? So when I look at it, the answer to the question is I have to give context to like my, where my position is. Like what, what is my background, mm. right? Like what have I grown up with and how did I grow up? And my dad looks Latino. He's like black hair, black mustache. Maybe he looks like Pablo Escobar, right? But he's not. He's Croatian. Like he's a, My mom is Irish, right? So the um, – when I look at the things that I've experienced, there's definitely the other side of it. Because when you say racism, what people think is white on black. You don't think of racism as a whole. Yeah, exactly. You think it's like, what do white people think about black people? Okay, yeah. go. Uh, what do you think? You're a white guy? Like, you, you tell me. Yeah. Like, the token white guy. What do you think about black people? It's like, I love black people. I love all people. Like, I like people that are, there's two kinds of people. People that are good and people that are bad. Exactly. It's like music. There's only good music and bad music, right? There's no in-between, right? It's like, I don't like bad music. I like good music. The, um, when I look at that, it's, I've been in situations where it's been different. When I was living in Hawaii, I was the only white dude that I knew. And it's like, that was different. Like, places I surfed, places I went, I was treated different. I mean, absolutely different. I, I've always been white Colby. Like, who's a white boy? I wore that as a badge of pride. Right, I didn't think of that as like I was being discriminated against right. until I started dating black girls. That's where things got different. So it's funny because the my second marriage is a white girl with blonde hair, which is the first girl like that I ever like dated. Mm-hmm. They've all all the girls that I've been attracted to in my my circles have all been of some ethnic like Puerto Rican something. They're not usually traditionally blonde hair, blue eyed. In those scenarios, growing up, going through high school, I only dated like mulatto, black, Hispanic. Puerto Rican girls that were in the culture I was in. There wasn't a lot of white girls in the culture in hip-hop in the mm, 90s, yeah. right? Yeah. So that was different. Like, you know, having dads come to the house looking for me. And my dad was always really cool. He'd make, uh, he, I didn't grow up in a household where there was, like, even, uh, even like, little underhanded remarks of, like, race. Like, there was no insults. Like, I didn't grow up in a house. We grew up in a house listening to Miles Davis and War. I was raised on Santana, right? Like, I didn't – I wasn't raised on John Denver, Right, so my parents just did not, you know, respect the John Denver. But there's no, yeah. like, I didn't grow up in a in a in a household that w- there was never any undertones of segregation. Right, the um, and then my personal experience were just positions I put myself in. Mm-hmm. Right, um, I use this example; it's a tough one, but there's I think there's validity to it. I started getting tattooed. I'm 45. I started getting tattooed in my 30s, mm-hmm. and it was about how much money I had in the bank was how, like, how much more tattoos I got, mm-hmm. and I didn't start doing my hands until I had a certain amount. Right. Because I know once you cross that line, unless you're an athlete or a musician, you're working at a gas station, mm-hmm. right? Like there's just the stigma that comes between getting tattoos. Yeah. I will go into stores where we live and I will have people follow me to where I'm at and watch me. And it's like I laugh and I'm like, I, could, I can go home. I can put a shirt on, mm-hmm. right? I can, I can cover myself up. I can cover my tattoos up. I'm still white. But it's yeah. like I can go into places and people will like if I wear a T-shirt and walk into it. Walking to Best Buy, the dude will walk over to where I'm at here in town to look to see what I'm doing to make sure I'm not stealing anything. And it's like – so it's an interesting – it's interesting. It's the, the climate of anybody that's different, I think there's a, there's a curiosity. Then there becomes a fear because you don't understand it and then it's what you do with that. So what do I – answer the question, what do I do with – like how do I teach my kids? I don't teach them anything. I lead by example. 
right? And then if there's ever been periods of time where a joke maybe came out from one of the kids that maybe one of their friends said or, you know, making a, a joke about, it, you know, Mexicans being hard workers or something like so, you know, stuff kids say, we'll correct it immediately, immediately and say like, yo, like that's not funny. Like I get with the humor in it. But like you like, need to under like you, you can't just generalize a group of people like it's not don't so the times that it's it's come up I don't lead with an iron th- like fist either like I want my kids to, be able to talk to me about anything right yeah. but for me it's it's always about leading with example and I'll tell you man it's that's a really really good question because the last time I saw you was and we'll kind of set this up. I'd never been to like these little small town protestings and as somebody who takes, you know, I make movies and, and take pictures, I brought my camera and I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And the first time we did that, it was an eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. The second time made me sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. The third time, like I was coming to go, like, like it was going to get ugly. I was prepared for something to happen, mm-hmm. knowing that there were going to be 500 hillbillies with ARs and like 13 minorities on a corner. Yeah. Like it was literally that extreme. Yeah. And when I came to that scenario, we brought our third oldest daughter, Emma. So it's my wife's second oldest daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's very forward thinking, but she's about as basic as a white girl as you're going to get, right? Yeah. Likes the Kardashians, you know, online shopping. Like mm-hmm. she's, you know, that, uh, that typical 16, you know, for, hell, she's 14, typical 14 year old white girl in mm-hmm. the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Like that's her, right? Yeah. She came down and saw what was going on like I'm getting emotional she um emotions are acceptable yeah like I don't know why that just hit me so hard man so the um no I'm good man it's I I don't know why that hit me so hard she saw what was going on and the way that one group treated another group and it like she started crying and she jumped in line and I got video of her like with the fist up in the air like behind these girls that were getting yelled at by these hillbillies that were throwing water bottles and here's this 14 year old girl who like 14 year old white girl like she has no skin in this game she's got no horse in this fight whatever you want to say she's just like no dog in the fight like she's standing there and she saw and felt we didn't coach her we didn't tell her we didn't even tell her we just told her kind of what was going on we never took a side we didn't say we're gonna stand over here we're gonna do this we just rolled in and this whatever naturally was going to happen was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And where we found ourselves was with a 14-year-old daughter with her fist up in the air standing with like 13 other kids. There was nobody there, there was over the yeah. age of 30, yeah. Yeah. right, yeah. that were, that were try, you know, trying to put their voice together for social injustice um, and the climate. So that to me shows me that whatever's being done from a parenting perspective works mm-hmm. because we didn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to tell her, hey, that's not good. Like, the way those people are acting is pretty shitty. Like, I don't have to say that to her. She got it. Like, naturally, based on being there for four or five hours, she went, she gravitated toward what she felt, and what she felt was, you know, injustice, and she went with a group of people that were marginalized and being yelled at. Like, that's what she gravitated to. That's parenting. And, that, that's parenting. And I agree with that. I agree with that 100% on what you just said. I agree. And it is very emotional, especially the last three times that we, you know, we did this, and, uh, Sometimes you just got to go in there, shoulders wide, prayed up. And sometimes that wasn't, you won't even do, you know. And to be in that experience, well, you know, I'm one of the oldest that started our group. And then we got, you know, Diamond that started the group. And then we got Kiara that hasn't been here for a little bit. She disappeared. I don't know where she went. But, you know, just to see that group and we live here. That was like 500 people. And we had like 
I would say about 26. Maybe, maybe 30. Maybe 30. And I remember the officer pulled me to the side and interviewed me. He's like, oh, does it scare you? I know this doesn't scare me. Why would it scare me? What, like, I got 500 people, guns pointing at me? It ain't towards me. I don't take it that way. But I know what the battle is for. I know, I know where it's for. And so I live in this community. You live in this community. And just to see that, it lets you know that we have an issue. And then the issue is big. It's going to take more of us to, to fix it. And, you know, me and Damon are young. And we're not looking at it as, oh, well, we're going to go talk to, to white people and see what they think about black people or white people like that. No, we actually want to sit down and talk to people and understand so we can try to fix certain things because we have a certain standards that we go by. And we also have we, we looked at it like we're just enemies every day. You know, now me and Diamond, well, Diamond has police like just civilians on her just for being a black leader. Definitely been a black leader, one of the black leaders in St. George. Yeah. And I, I let her explain that to you. I'm not going like, to like, uh, tell it for you, but she had experienced that. And when she told me that, that broke me down. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it kind of discouraged me a little bit. I'm like, it discouraged me. That's what the devil wants. Because he sees something that's moving. It's moving. It's starting to slow right now, but it's moving. And he sees something. And we're not out there, we're not out there talking about riots. And we're going to talk about that today. We're not, we're not out there doing anything crazy. We're just trying to understand really understand and I get emotional because my wife is white and I debate with her all the time with her family and I'll explain a little bit about that too as well and my and I love my kids to death and I know they're going to experience certain things that they daddy experience and I have a certain way I have to bring them up I have to bring them up I have to let I have to prepare I have to let them know like this is real there's no 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 should come about it Mm-hmm. And I look at my wife for guidance, and sometimes she don't understand it. Yeah, she, well, she hasn't been through it. Hasn't been through it. Been through it. And it's tough. It's tough. And I get very emotional about it. The days I, I break down and cry when she doesn't know. And I just look at my girls and I go kiss them because I'm like, yeah. you don't know. So I will pass the phone over to the Diamond. She'll you know, go from her experience and stuff like that. More questions. Yeah, so I actually just had a meeting with the chief of police. Uh, yesterday actually um, about the police doing surveillance on me um, off uh, sergeant <laughs> the chief corrected me quite quickly when I called him officer um, but sergeant uh, Spencer Holmes um, the first uh, I believe it was the first big protest we had here in St. George he along with the chief came out and some other officers to uh you know, just protect and serve. Yes, to protect and serve and make sure, you know, everybody was keeping as much of a level head as they possibly could. And um, the chief knelt with us and uh, Sergeant Spencer did not. And I asked him why. And I was genuinely curious why he didn't, but his leader did. And his response was that he couldn't because the rules say that while they're in uniform, they can't. Mm. So I had asked him, okay, well, when you're not in uniform, would you come back? And would you, you know, kneel with us, like, to show your solidarity? Because that's part of why you guys said that you came out today. Um, And he quickly took on an attitude as soon as his life outside of work came into you know, question what he would do outside of work came into question. And um, so I got my sense of his character 
then and that was my intention and um so I didn't have good vibes from him so I knew he was an officer I should probably avoid if at all possible and um then at the protest that we just recently did the day that the verdict for Breonna Taylor came down um he along with another uh lieutenant showed up and I was talking to the lieutenant and Sergeant Spencer cuts in and says oh I like the color in your hair I like this red better I'm glad you decided you know not to do another color and I'm glad you decided not to you know do the dark brown um but I had made a post on my Facebook which is set to only friends can see it not friends of friends just friends and I had also made a post on Instagram about it now I know my Instagram is public however you have to know my name in order to find me on there um and so he was letting me know in front of a group of people without directly saying it I'm watching you Mm. and I wasn't sure if it was just him watching me or if it was the entire police department surveillancing me so does it matter? Yes and no. It matters because why is the whole police department watching me? Why? Mm-hmm. What have I done that would give you probable cause to watch me? Yeah. And if, you're, if it's not the whole police department, why are you as an individual watching me? And why are you using your badge to do it? Mm. And, um... The next question would be, then, what? So then what? Yeah. Then what do you do with it? So, I spoke with the chief, and I told him, I asked him, I said, is he allowed to do this? And his answer was, yes, actually, he can. And I said... He hasn't broken the law. Okay, does it mean, like, does he have to have probable cause to do it? Or can he just do it if he feels like it? Has he broken any laws? And that's exactly what he said. Either way, you can do it. It's Mm -hmm. fine as long as it's on public property. And um, I said, okay, so could a private civilian run surveillance on a cop? And he said, yeah, actually, Mm -hmm. you can. And so my what do I do with it is, and I told the chief this, I will run surveillance on this cop if he doesn't stop. And it scared me so badly because my phone had been hacked. Everything in my phone, my, my social media had been hacked, my, I, uh, my Apple ID, everything in my phone had been hacked. And I don't know if it's this officer or not mm. that is the one who hacked all my stuff. I think the bigger thing is this. Right, and we we talked about this earlier. Is you guys are young, right? And look at your parents. Talk to your parents, your grand, your grandparents specifically. And I, so I didn't grow up through the civil rights movement, right? There wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of racial movement. Like the big the biggest racial movement I remember is stuff that happened around nine eleven. We can talk about that because I had a really I had a problem. I had a that was a big deal for me. Right, it took me a long time to get through that, and. Um, there's, a, there's some lessons that I learned there that I think are valuable. The, so I, we haven't seen, really experienced it. I mean, outside day-to-day stuff, right? Um, just the driving while being black, 
right? You, mm-hmm. you know what racism, you deal with it. I don't. Mm-hmm. Like you do. You, you deal with it every day. Mm-hmm. What I would say is this, is you look to the leaders that have ever made noise, that have ever had righteous intent, all of them have been surveilled. Everyone. All right, you know it. Mm-hmm. Everyone from JFK to Martin Luther King mm-hmm. to Malcolm X to anybody, anybody that any, – any, anyone that's of leadership – that seems to have an extreme view. And in this case, the extreme view is I just have a different melanin than you do. Mm-hmm. That's my extreme view is I'm tired of stuff yeah. that you'll have no idea about. And I'm, I didn't want to say something about it. That's so they're afraid. Mm-hmm. You're always going to be looked at. And people, as long as people knowing that, if you are ever going to take a position of voicing what you feel, mm-hmm. And you get traction and you become a thought leader in your group and then there's more people, you're going to cause disruption. You always need to know going into that regardless of what you're going up against. It could be, it could be equal rights. It could be, it could be police brutality. It could be, uh, it could be the LGBT community. It doesn't matter. Whatever you're standing up for, if it starts to get any kind of steam, you have to know you're going to be targeted mm-hmm. by not just – it's not the officer I'm worried about. It's the hillbillies that you don't know. Mm-hmm. They're going to find you at the gas station, mm-hmm. right? Or anybody, not you specifically, Diamond. But it's so in, if you know that's the case, then what do you do? You either live in fear and try to fight back by saying tit for tat, you'll lose every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that personally. In a legal environment or a medical environment, I say nothing until I've been asked, mm-hmm. only because I got my ass kicked so many times doing it the other way. Mm-hmm. The, the flip side of that is you just got to lock everything down. You got to protect yourself because nobody's looking out for you. And it's not the ones that you know about that you worry about. It's the ones you don't see coming. Mm-hmm. And it's like in those scenarios, I think you're right. I, I think the, the positioning of it is I'm not in a position to tell you what to do. The positioning that I see from the outside is I see you. Like mm-hmm. you make these comments. I see you. I know how you got that. And you caught immediately. Mm-hmm. What did you think about my vacation pictures of this? Did you like those? That was a hot. That was, a, that was some good stuff going on Instagram, right? Like that was good, right? Yeah. Why don't you just follow me next time instead of like you friend request me? It's cool, man. Yeah. I got I have friends with police officers on my Instagram, mm-hmm. and you take now you've taken control. So now it's like oh you're going to tell me you see me, but I guess I see you. Yeah. I invite you to, I invite you to the picnic. Come come hang out. Like you don't need to hide. You have nothing to hide. You have nothing to hide. You you don't need to hide. I see you. Or maybe I misread what you said, but I talked about that on my Instagram. Like, cool. Like, you know, you ever want to link up? You know, see what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. That's an easy way to do it, right? It's mm-hmm. like immediately you take the power away. Yeah. Immediately you take the power away because the cat and mouse game, you lose. Mm-hmm. There's too many cats, not enough mice. Or there's not enough. Well, there's too many mice and too many, like, the cats are too big, man. They're just going to mm-hmm. step on us all. Yeah. So it's just, when I look at anything where it's like that, mm-hmm. any, any type of um, altercation, uh, I come at all, all altercations like that, yeah. right? It's how do I position it? With uh, you need to be cerebral versus emotion, and that takes a lot. I'm 45, and I'm just barely figuring yeah. that stuff out. I got ex-wives and yeah. arrest warrant. I got all kinds of stuff, and it's that that's the, it's taking me this long mm-hmm. to get to that thinking like that. You know what I mean? I totally agree with you on that. Uh, experience today, just chilling outside the apartment today, and it's like seven cops. My instant emotion, freaking out. Instantly freaked out. I was like, "Oh crap! Yeah, what is?" Feel I feel the same way, and I've done nothing yeah, wrong. Exactly. I feel the same way. It, it is everybody. Car, pulls behind me. I'm like, hey, wrong. Exactly. So, and I got my kids in the car. So I'm like, "Oh, my God. gotta freak it." And let me turn to the apartment, whatever. And then, uh, so they looking. You know, I don't. I, I can. I can feel them looking. Mm-hmm. I don't gotta look at you in direction, knowing you know yeah. you're looking at me. Yeah. So I get out the car. Kids like, "Hey, Dad, why is all the police here?" I said, "I don't know. You know, they got jobs to do. That's what they pay here to do. You know, they looking for somebody, whatever, something." Whatever, I don't know. So let's get inside, whatever. So I come back out. Uh, I'm fixing up the car and stuff like that. And the cops come up to me. 
I know he's coming. I know he's coming up to me. I can, you know, feel him. He looks at me. He's in. A, he's in. A, uh, he's in a, like a gray truck. So he's on the cover. Mm-hmm. He come. He comes out. He got. A, he got. Uh, he got. He got a bodyguard on. Whatever. Dog comes out. Stuff like that. I said, okay. When you when you approach me, just keep calm. Don't look like anything. Whatever. I'm in. The, I'm in the trunk. I'm getting the tools ready to fix inside the my fix my spark plugs. And uh, he's like, hey, uh, you mind if I come up to you and approach to you and talk to you? I said, yeah, no mind. You know, come on, officer. You know, what you do? I'm like, what's up? He's like, hey, man, uh, I'm looking for this guy. Uh, have you seen him around? Yada, yada, yada. I said, no, but uh, I said, no, I, I need to see because he explained it to me. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I ain't good with, like, with scriptures like that. You got to show me. So he's like, all right. So he showed me and uh, he gives me the, the idea of the man. I was like, you know, I haven't seen him around, but I'll, I'll keep watch. He's like, yeah, you know, um, we watching him. He got like 10 felonies and stuff like that. Yeah, no, he, he, he was a black guy. And he showed me he was a black guy. I haven't seen the guy before. But, uh, in my mind, I, I, they probably thought I was him or whatever like that, but I didn't get out of character. With, you know, get out of character, didn't judge her or whatever. I was just like, protect myself, be calm, ask us questions. He didn't come to the car with his gun, you know, standing on his gun and like that, but you can tell he was kind of timid when talking to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, nah, man, like what he looked like, you know, whatever like that. He showed me a picture, and I was like, oh, so he's black. But the thing is, the picture, how he got it is, it's not like a full-on color picture. But you can tell the guy is black. And so I was like, oh man, you know, maybe one day you should just go get a new printer and get like the uh, get like some color, some yeah. color, maybe, color paint. And maybe this, like too, <laughs> you know, beat around the bush on the description. You could say it's a black dude. Yeah. And come up to his hey, it's a black guy. Yeah. Because you and would tell me it was a white guy. Yeah. yeah. So you would, dude, this build, you would tell me that. You exa- exactly. Guy, you would say that to me. Exactly. Right. So, um, he he was very timid with me, and so I started getting kind of nervous. I was like, look, man, look, that ain't me. And you know, I'm gonna be real with you. I said, but if I see the guy around. I mean, shit, I might, I call, I'll call, you know, I don't got no, no problem. I mean, I got kids, I, I want to protect them, you know. He's like, okay, you know, we, we've been watching and stuff like that. And I said, yeah, I mean, you guys kind of freaked me out today. I saw about seven cops, and I was kind of freaking out. So I was like, but yeah, man, like, you know, it's cool. I said, but you can always talk to me. Said, you can come up talk to me, you know. And I said, you know, uh, I said, I'd like to get your view on something. And he's like, what? I said, why do cops get nervous when they stop a minority? And he was like, like, he looked, like, he looked back at his car, and he looked at me. He goes, well, we don't get nervous. I said, you guys do. I said, when I got pulled over, I said, you guys get pretty pretty nervous when you see a minority. Like, y'all actually just like, is it, is it like a, a switch? Were you programmed that way? Like, what? And he goes, no. He goes, no, we just got to be careful for, all, you know, all, all potential threats and stuff like that. I said, so, I said, so you see a kid and the kid did something. Would you go up to him and automatically feel threatened by the kid? Or you just be like, I'm going to handle this kid because I'm the bigger person or I know what I'm doing. He's like, well... No, but as a kid, we don't we we can't really talk to a kid without without a parent type stuff, and so we will ask the kid to see his parent, and if the parent's not there, we'll come back. He goes like, well, you know, in your situation as a adult, he goes, you know, we don't know you guys' background, we don't know what you guys are capable of, and all that. I said, but you guys have training. I said, little old me ain't gonna knock you out. Little old me is not gonna overpower you and these seven of the cops. I was like, so so I was like, so so I don't understand. I said, just help me understand so I can let people know. He goes, well, there's really no understanding. You know, we all got to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. He goes, sometimes, he goes... Hey, what do you think about that answer? What, that, that, when, he, when he told me, I'm going to tell you the answer. When he told me, I was kind of like, I didn't believe him. I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep it real. I didn't believe him. But he was like, you know, we got to protect... He goes, you know, when, you ever, when we ever come to your car, we'll hit your car first. Let you know we're coming, so it would kind of let you guys know to put your hand on the wheel. As he said, so are we automatically supposed to put our hand on the wheel when you guys come? He goes, we would like our, the people to, to do that so we can know that nothing's wrong. I said, sometimes it's not even that. I said, if I'm in my car and I'm chilling, you come knock on my window and I'm chilling, listening to music, I'm not going to have my hands on the car. I'm going to have my hands on the side, probably on the phone, chilling, laid back, you know. So 
you probably are thinking that I'm going to hurt you, right? He goes, well, no. I said, well, you just told me that just now. So he was like, well, it's just a different situation, but we will allow you to know when we're approaching up. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. So when he left, and, I, and the, as the guy came downstairs, it was, uh, you know, white kid coming downstairs, he's like, hey, man, are they looking for you? I said, nah, but I knew they, my profile or my picture probably fit that profile they're looking for, and he came to stop me. Because the dude was seven of them, and he had, he, had, he had the body vest on, and the other two cops went behind me. Like, they probably thought it was me, but I was cool. He goes, he goes, you do that every day? I said, I do that every day. Mm-hmm. I, and I said, it's so scary. He goes, well, I never got to deal with that. He goes, I never got to deal with that. And I don't got to do this. And I was like, yeah, that's understandable. How, how, do you, like, how does that work for you? Does it feel calm and collected? He's like, yeah, I can go out, smoke a blunt, go back inside, and, like, you know, and, and not have that fear. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, man, that's, that's pretty cool. And we just started chatting it up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't believe the officer. I think, you know, the moment I'm in my car, I'm in a Dodge Charger, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This black kid, I look like a teenager, you know, I don't look like the age I am. And uh, they probably like, what does he do? Or how does he get that car? He probably ran my place. He probably ran my place like five times before I was even there. Mm-hmm. So it, I didn't believe him. And I think they do have an agenda in my way. I have cops that are friends. I have family that's in law enforcement. And I see some of the things that, I see some things that I'm just like, man, what? That's why I don't want to be the police officer. I don't want to go, go through with none of that. And I have family members that's in it because they want to change the system from the inside. Yeah. And that's to me, like you keep saying, it's like a cat and mouse because you're not going to, not just that one person going to change it. You can shine light on the people like that, but you're still bringing a lot of, a huge, huge mess onto yourself. And, uh, and when I, I didn't believe the officer at all, but I just let, I let it known, like, I need to be more careful. Um, not put myself in that situation. You know, even though I didn't put myself oh, in yeah, the situation. What, like being outside? But yeah, I was just outside. But yeah. the thing is, it's like now, it's like they do it in a way that you don't want to be yeah. out now. Like you want to be stay inside. And that's, the, and that's what I think they're doing, in my opinion. Not everybody, but I think they have some officers here that are trying to scare you so that you won't do anything. Let me, let me put a cap on you a different way. Can I give you a different perspective? Yeah. You need to talk to an officer. Like they could, I'm not an officer. I've yeah. never been a law enforcement <laughs> I've been with law enforcement a lot of times, but I'm not a law enforcement. <laughs> the, um, I think about it like this. I, I try to envision you – know, I've been very blessed to – I've worked with close to, I don't know, 1,500 or so uh, combat vets. So when they come back, like, what do you do? Like, how do you get reacclimated? So if you've been in a combat situation, you don't go from shooting enemies to working at the gas station. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is not, doesn't work. You don't, like, you don't kill people and then all of a sudden go to work at the library. Like, there's stuff that ha- – you takes a very it war affects people very differently right yeah. and death affects everybody differently and it was the the thing with these guys is they're not broken they're looking for the next mission so you have to get them to live with purpose and like there's a lot of things you do in that i've had the opportunity to work with, with police officers some and when i think about this kind of stuff i think about imagine if your job all day you gotta think like as many times as i've spoken to an officer i probably bullshitted him every time i talk to him they know that. So imagine if every time you talk to somebody, everybody feels like they've probably done something. Most people, like when a police officer pulls behind them and they're driving, immediately feels like they're going to get pulled over. Mm-hmm. Everybody does, right? Everybody feels that way. Yeah. The numbers of who gets pulled over are a lot different, right? If you're a minority, your chance of getting pulled over are way higher than mine. Yeah. But I'm tattooed head to, head to toe in a BMW. Like it's like they're going to pull. They're looking to like, – yeah. right? I'm, is that light out? What are they going to do? It's like – I know from from a put it this way. Every time you deal with somebody, if your job is that they're they're lying to you mm-hmm. or trying to have and they have an angle, 
they always have an angle. So if everybody you deal with has an angle, eventually you're going to get worn out with it. And all you deal with are the people that are doing bad shit all the time. So they don't call you because it's like a, a church picnic. Yeah. They call you because they need security at the dance. They call you because there's been a break-in. They, they call you because somebody's been hurt. Mm-hmm. They don't call you because something good's happening. They call you because you're supposed to be there to help the community. So if everybody you deal with has an angle and the only time you're out and around is like when things get heavy eventually you're going to be jaded mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what your race is because everybody you deal with you're going to think is shitty because everybody you deal with in your world is shitty mm-hmm. and eventually if you work how many hours these guys work i know it's a lot yeah. and depending on where you live and how much work there is i mean i think in our little tiny town those guys are working mm-hmm. eventually dealing with there's so there's no there's there's no um, I'm not condoning like what happened. What I'm saying is when you look at it from an officer's perspective, I try to lead with that. Like if you deal with shitty people all the time, like eventually like it's tough. But here's the flip side. Protocol for getting pulled over should be taught if you're a minority. It's like mm-hmm. if you think you're going to be – something's going to happen, what do you do? Like what you said. Yeah. I'm going to put my hands on the wheel. I'm going to put my thing out. Should you do that every time? No, but guess what? I don't want to get shot today. Yeah. And I know people – I think here's the thing is people are – if you're a white officer living in a black community, you're in a black community, all you deal with are black or like minorities, but you don't live there, mm-hmm. like that's going to be a lot different mm-hmm. for you because you're going to think that everybody that's a minority is, do, is up to something, mm-hmm. right? So every time they approach, they're... Now we received three new voice messages uh, from Unknown. I gave him three topics to talk about uh, under a minute. And there's a one-minute hot take session. Take a listen. I've got three questions that I need to answer here. And it is defund the police. How do I feel about Blue Lives Matter? And um, how will I have my children handle a police encounter um, as a white um, American? Um, I'll start with the last one first, and I may have to split this up into separate recordings, but when it comes to police encounters, a lot of police are, like any other cross-section of humanity, um, if you generally treat those situations calmly and treat people with respect, a lot of the times that will be reciprocated. Yes, there's people that are douchebags. doesn't matter what segment of the population you're talking about. You're going to find some unsavory people, and police, by and large, are the largest gang in the United States, so it's best not to be aggressive or um, uncouth with them. Uh, play them uh, in the game where you can win, and that's in the courtroom. This could be a topic that's worthy of a half hour instead of a minute, but I'll try and encapsulate it quickly. But this is defund the police. I think the scope of that is incorrect because it's not the police, it's the police state that's the problem. It's not the people that enforce the laws, it's the people that create them. So I think defund the police is entirely misguided. It's not the cops that wrote the three strikes and you're out rule. It's not the cops that made marijuana illegal. It's not the cops that did all these other things that have hurt people over victimless crimes. Uh, The fangs and the um, whatnot of the people that are activists today are aimed completely and entirely in the wrong direction. Um, they, they are attacking the symptom instead of the virus, so to speak. So it's a pointless movement attacking people that are just doing their job, whether you agree with their job or how it's been handled or not is a side issue. It's the legislation and the people that write the laws. 
Second question is, is how do I feel about Blue Lives Matter? So I think the Blue Lives Matter movement is kind of an outcropping response to Black Lives Matter. And um, I think it is what it is. People feel that one, you say, um, we'll just say Black Lives Matter, um, rhetorically speaking, we're talking about rhetoric versus a concept or uh, um, an organization. Rhetorically speaking, it's segregationist. So it's basically saying, as it's stated, these people matter. I don't think anybody would argue that, but we also know that other people matter as well. And when people feel like they're being attacked and they're saying that this group matters, it intrinsically says that the other one does not. And some people are going to take it that way at least. So I think that's where that came from. Welcome back. Like I said, this is uh, that was the interview with Kobe K, myself, and Diamond. Very heartfelt uh, episode. Uh, once again, part two will be dropping soon. But also, we wanted you guys to send in live voice messages so we guys can answer. We can answer your questions. Uh, it's no judgment, no uh, no foul playing. You can say what you want to say. Trump supporters, liberals, Republicans, Democrats, just people of color, anybody can call in and 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 just get your your point across. We want to hear your voice. If this is for, you know, this is something that it can be big, it can be amazing. You know, leaders, followers. It starts with putting God back into our homes, putting God back into our schools. You know, having faith. I believe that we can change. I believe that the world can actually view us black Americans as 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 loving brothers, as loving sisters. You know, we are strong individuals and we're tired, but everybody's tired, you know, and I feel like police officers shouldn't use their platform to hurt anybody, you know, and we want them to just be accountable for their actions, just like we're accountable for our actions. And uh, next episode, that's going to be episode three, it's gonna, uh, I'm going to explain to you guys about what happened to me in my little run-in. And uh, there's no, I'm not ashamed about it, you know. I'm, I'm still scared to drive. I'm still scared to go out with my daughters, but I can't let the enemy win. So just stay tuned. Um, keep listening. I appreciate the guys' support and the love and everything like that. Just keep on heavy, hitting heavy and keep on living daily lives and I love you guys and stay tuned for another episode of Black Tea.